1: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Phil Philacrossity Podcast. Really excited to welcome Guy Van Arsdale to the show. Guy is the head coach at Colby College and has really an unbelievable lacrosse resume. He just told me that this is his 40th year of coaching college or pro lacrosse. He was a three-time Marklin Kelly award winner as a goalie at Hobart and won four national championships, coached at Penn State. Notre Dame, Jacksonville, led Colorado College to their first NCAA tournament, RIT, Final Four, 112-54 record, coached the Rochester Rattlers as a GM. He also coached indoor. Guy, you have as uh, an amazing a resume as, as anyone I've ever had on this show, and I'm really fired up to have you on. I'm
0: really excited to be with you, Jamie. You and I have known each other a long time, and I think it's always been always been a
1: lot of fun every time we get a chance to spend some time together. Totally. So I, I, um, I'm experimenting with a little bit of a different format. You know, normally I, I just kind of do this. All right, let's just uh, hear about your, you know, bio and your journey. And we talk about that and then we get into other stuff. And what I want to try to do on this podcast is talk about topics that would be similar to any podcast that we can have discussions about, but I want you to, if you can weave in any, um, stuff from your, past, the people that you want to recognize and talk about, the mentors that you had along the way. And if you can sort of weave that in and sort of let us know kind of how you got to where you got to philosophically, where you're going, where you're developing and some of the impacts that you've had, both uh, old and new, it would be fantastic. Does that sound like a plan? It does. I, I think we can get there. All right, let's do it. All right. So um, first of all, great little topic that I had to cut us short in the pre-podcast, Um you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that 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 think, I think in your words, that lacrosse didn't really get started, modern lacrosse didn't really start happening until around 2002. Um we were talking about some of the great all-time players. What what do you think is the difference between players now and in the elite players of the 80s and 90s leading up into this era of more uh, modern lacrosse on ESPN? Well, I th- I think I think Probably,
0: um, I think the very elite players. When when you look at the top five or ten percent players in the game right now, whoever you would consider, you know whether it's college or, or college and post collegiate players right now in the game that are actively playing, and you take those top fifty or one hundred guys. I don't think they're any different than the top fifty or one hundred guys from nineteen eighty five or nineteen seventy eight or whatever that is. What's really different. Is the next 200 guys that, that come along? I think I think the depth of talent there were, and and just because of the sheer number, I think has that's changed the game somewhat. The rules certainly have changed the game, you know. And 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 I think, you know, I play I played with six long poles, you know. Yeah. So so, so 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 you as a midfielder, you know, all those guys talk about. Well, I get to go against the shorty and go. The shorty. You know what? I'd love to see some of these guys you know, do what they do. And, and, the, and many could, but if you're playing against six poles, it certainly turns the dynamic of, of what you're doing as an offensive player rather than lining up against short sticks. And that's even the players off of the ball, because going against short sticks, you're making defensive move, right? And, and, and great offense doesn't really start to happen until the defense is forced to move totally. So going against poles they are moving a whole lot less. So I think, I think there's such a dynamic change in that. It's, and it's that comparison of
1: Eris but you know if, all right so specifically um you you know I mentioned that I don't think there's if Gary Gate was a division one player right now he, he'd be midfielder of the year player of the year if Dave Petromala was a defenseman right now he'd be defenseman of the year John Zilberti was an attackman right now there's no doubt in my mind he would he could he could be the attackman of the year like there, there there's there was a skill set at that time that in an athletic level that was as high as ever but I want I want to hear from you since you were a goalie what what's the difference in goalie goalies now versus goalies then and and, and where would the best goalies of you know the Larry Quinn's um you know and, and, and honestly I, I kind of start with Larry Quinn you know the goalies before that you know um I'm sure better than I do but Larry Quinn and Sal Ocasio and, and, and some of these guys doctor where do they fit into the goalie discussion of playing? Well, I think I
0: think I think you're you're dead on with a with a Larry Quinn. I think Larry's probably in my top five of all time goalies and, and I think that guys like Dan Macasee who played at Cornell and and in the in the uh, late seventies um, and and Rick Blick at Hobart? Who were these were both USA team. Goalies. Rick Blick,
1: R.I.P. Yeah. Rick Blick, who used who supposedly uh, drove up the twi- the windy street in San Francisco backwards, and he certainly did. And and Rick, you know,
0: unfortunately Rick passed away a few years ago, and and was has has probably a more storied career off the field that he did on even though he was one of the greatest stoppers you ever saw and and just he was the guy who used to in warm-ups um, at the end of his warm-up would have the guy shooting on him fire 10 balls from about five yards as high as he could right off his face mask and and and, and just to get himself ready as, as as the game would start so he was he, w- he was a character as well as a great goaltender but I think I think for me and and I'm exceedingly biased because I because I coached him some when I was a young assistant coach at UMass but but the greatest goalie of all time at every level is Sal Lacasio. I mean, I don't I don't care you know what anyone says that that Sal did things that no one else has ever done in that position and he was he was like the one guy he was the one thing that gave you a chance when the Gate brothers came on the field for sure. you know against the USA team the only thing that that really you know Mitchell and Petramala helped but but having Lacasio in the net he's the one guy who could make that save to the off elbow that the gates used to live on. And, and was ready to make. And, and just because of his incredible quickness and positioning and, and the way he played.
1: What, what, what made Sal the best, his hands, his hands,
0: you know, and I, and I think, and I, and I think that's the one thing that hasn't changed. Right. I think, I think what's, you know, sh- you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me um, in today's game. Like when you watch, I think one of the evolutions of how I think about goalie play um, really changed in, in the last 15 or 20 years, with um, TV, slow motion cameras behind the cage. And and it was the sheer velocity of shooters. It wasn't like, I'm not sure that shooters place the ball better now, but they do certainly shoot it hard and or more of them shoot it velocity. But watch how many balls score in those games that are nowhere near a pipe. You know, they, they may be hitting space, but actually they may have only been shot the ball a quarter of an inch away from a stick but it's just going so hard that it's really difficult for a guy to react to, especially if he's not in the right spot. So I think, I think the two things that, that have become so important um, and and are not, not have to, I think you've got to have great hands. You, you know, you make, if you're a great goalie and you have a great goalie in the cage, he's making the majority of his saves with a stick. And if he's not, then, then, you know, he, he's probably the other thing big, you know? And so, and so I think if you're, if you're big, and have great hands then you're well on the way and sal was that back then he was he was a you know a wide body with incredible quickness
1: and an understanding of the game what about the understanding of the game how how important is that for a goalie to be able to understand what the options are as a shooter
0: well, I think um, so that they
1: can take it away or give it up or anticipate well, i think that's i think
0: that's i think it's i think it's almost everything i think you need to know how guys are taught to shoot you need to know what, how shooters think and what they want to do, you know, and I think one of the premises I always talk about um, there's two things we talk about in, in teaching our goaltenders has always been, you know, efficiency. How, how can you be as efficient as you possibly done? How can you move them? You know, how can you move the most with doing the least? And then, and then the other thing is that we're going to make the shooter shoot a perfect shot. And if he hits a perfect shot, we say, way to go, nice job. And we get ready for the next one. And, and so we need to be in places where, so you need to understand what's the perfect shot from that spot maybe for that guy. So, so, and what's the shot he's not going to hit and, and understanding those types of things. So I think it it puts a whole nother layer into what you're doing in the cage rather than just say, sitting there and waiting for the ball to be, you know, come firing at you.
1: So if you look at like a Blaze Reardon now, <laughs> what makes him special? And do you think that he's, he plays very differently than the well, most- I think- and, and it's funny, I've known Blaze
0: since he was a little kid. I knew his dad really well uh, growing up in Rochester when I was living in Rochester at that time. Yeah. And and he was a little kid running around without a goalie stick at that point. And yeah. and uh, and I mean really a little kid. And and I think Blaze, I think I think Blaze has the two things we just I just talked about, right? He's got he's got a he's got a wide body hands and, he's, and he's got exceptional hands. His hand speed is incredible. His and and I think the fact that he plays outside the goal as much as he does um even in the indoor is an understanding of of shooting angles and playing you know and, def- and playing against the small goal and those things I think I think he's I think he's incredibly influenced in how he plays by how much indoor lacrosse he plays. Yeah, and for and- people that don't know he's a
1: starting forward for the Philadelphia Wings. Um, and there's just not actually been that many Americans that have ever been long time starting forwards in the NLL,
0: Ever. No. No, and 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 then I would go back to the other thing, just to point that out to to kind of hammer home my points about Sal Ocasio. He's the only American goalie to ever make first team All Pro in the indoor league, you know, yeah. and 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 do that in that league. So and that, yeah. that's it. Just it just shows you his versatility. So so I think I think Blaze is is taken some of what he sees there and faces in there and and brings it to to the field game, and I and I think it works for him. I would probably. Um, I you know if Blaze if Blaze was a guy who played for me younger I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed a thing you know you let him go because he's effective and he's highly effective and he's confident in what he does um, but I'm not going to start teaching younger goalies to play that way there's there's other things that I think that they can be more consistent and don't have to have some of the skill set that Blaze has now maybe if there's a kid who looks like Blaze and has you know tremendous hands in that in that skill. then maybe we might talk about certain situations employing how you go down into that butterfly pose and 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 stay big while you're down low and and try to force shooters to shoot different places and reach up from your knees and all the things that i think you're probably enamored with
1: i am well i'm also i just think it makes sense i mean personally i think you know taking away there's shots that you can't see so you're not going to get your hands there there's shots from a distance that you're not going to, you're actually just not going to react to um, up and down the hashes, particularly they're, they're close enough that if you try to get to a low shot, you try to get to your five hole with your stick, you're going to give up a leaner. And if you stay up with your stick, they're going to throw it five hole. So what he's basically done is figured out the five hole leaner dilemma by taking it away with his legs and keeping his stick up while he sinks down to be able to take away high and low. And, you know, sometimes balls go right in on him when he doesn't move down low, but, but more often than not, he, he's changing the perception of the shooter while he's, while he's maxing out on surface area. And again, I think that would go back to who you're playing against, right?
0: Guys who have the capability to make that shot or take that shot. But it's also, also, I would argue too, that in what I would teach goals, that, is that, is that maybe they're giving that shot up or not seeing that shot because they're just not in the right place. They're, they're not right where they should be and, and not necessarily on their knees or whatever, but they're just not where they should be to force that shooter to shoot the perfect shot, and 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 I think that that might be well, dropping
1: your to knees and sort of collapsing them without falling or to di- sort of two right yes yeah. yeah that, that butterfly um, look yeah yeah the butterfly or the one knee the you one know, you knee collapses that. one knee and it's actually yeah. amazing to, to, to look at what surface area it what it takes away it it
0: it does and I would argue that that same surface area if you're further from the, like I I'm I've become um, I like teaching a a uh, um, the old arc system right used to work a single plane you know with side to side right and 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 in relation to where the ball was between the two sidelines right you were in the goal where you, based upon where the ball is between the two sidelines so so what I want to do is I want to I want to take that and put it have an x and a y axis so so that now it's where the ball is not only in relation to where it is to either sideline, but where it is from end line to midline or end line to restraining line, depending on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So so part of what 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 I really believe is that you're going to be in that, you know, I, I still believe that you're going to be somewhere towards the ball to the middle of your body and the middle of the cage kind of thing, the old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by right? the way, this whole topic is based on low angle. Right. Well, and and even then in low angle, right? So then then you're also if you're if you're if it's if it's low angle coming down the side, right, being out and challenging can help that as long as you know what you're giving up. If you're coming from behind, that changes it as well. So where I would actually want you flatter to the cage and and, and in terms of how angles actually work and then where you move on a shot becomes important, because if you're low angle coming from behind, then we're going to I'm going to have both my heels on the end line. And my step is going to be my off-pipe leg stepping right down the the goal line, mm-hmm. so so you know in, in in that kind of way. So so I mean, there's and I and I and I'm not sure what you and I are talking about right right now are really any different. I just think we're getting there in different ways.
1: Yeah, or it might be totally. We might actually be talking about totally different scenarios. We could be. I'd always. But uh, before we move on from goalies, I, I want to get your opinion on why do you think Blaze has a stance the way he has? Why does he stand up straight and, and then hop into a stance as opposed to just being in a locked-in stance all the time? You know, I think a lot of those things just happen with guy's
0: comfort. Yep. That's where he feels comfortable. That's how he moves. That's Maybe it's a habit he just developed and it's what's, you know, obviously it's been successful. Why would he screw with it? You know, so so I, th- I think there's that. I mean, I believe, you know, I believe in getting to your spot and being ready. I believe in an upright stance. I don't like guys bent over. I don't like, you know, I I think, I think that especially with, you know, like you're talking about with shooters shooting the way they do with the velocity they shoot, you know, it's so much harder as a goalkeeper and someone playing positions always been so much harder to go from down and come up to make a save than it is from being up and going down to make a save. That's always been simpler. And, you know, part of it is gravity, right? You know, so you're working with it, but it's, so I think, I, I think that that, you know, for him, I think part of it's been effective is because it is so unique, right. And in that, and that, and then it's not seen. Now so I would actually what's that? What What does it do? I mean, it, it must, it must
1: work. Otherwise you wouldn't. Well, I think,
0: well, I think it's the same we're talking about, right. He's shooters look at him. Right. And that's why, like one of the things we teach on an arc, um, from a guy dodging down a, a, a hash, like you're saying, right. We want our guy working on an arc. That's actually a triangle. So that, so that when that guy chooses a side, if he goes to his right hand coming down a side, right. You know, that, that I'm basically going to drop step so that my right foot and left foot are headed in a straight line to the pipe, which seems like it opens the near side and to the shooter, it looks that, and then if he shoots back across his body, you know, you know, if I'm moving to my left to the left pipe. If he's move, if he shoots back across his body to go, go past my right leg. If it goes past that leg, it's going to go wide. But I'm now moving in the direction he's going. So I think some of it has that element of where he's anticipating and he's giving it. You know, it's 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 what what I would call um, unintentional baiting.
1: I think, I think, I think, I think think his, um, sinking of his, of of his body to take away the is an unintentional bait too. And it may be actually intentional, but I, I, I've seen a lot of guys throw it right into sticks like that too.
0: Absolutely. And and, and it's funny, the guy we mentioned earlier, you know, Rick Blick, he used to times with guys in tight, he'd put his hip, his stick down at his knees, the head of his stick down at his knees as guys are coming at him. And then as they shoot, he would explode upwards, you know? So it's, it's that, it's that kind of, Totally. That is more, you know, so so I think it's it's nothing new, real in some ways, yes. yeah. but it's but I think I think that's what it does, and I don't think shooters are used to seeing anything like that.
1: Totally, I actually think I mean you know when I think of Larry Quinn, I think of an upright stance. You know when I think of Jake, absolutely, Jake, everyone stood up back back then. Yes. I mean by the end of Sal's career, it seemed like he he went a little lower and wider base than than earlier in his career, but only because I remember seeing an amazing picture of him um, with his like a super wide base as he was sort of like catching an off hit ball, but, um, and he, and he would
0: do that. But the key to what he did with that too, is that I think that's important that if you're going to be wide there, you got to be, if you ever notice Sal's hands, we're very close together. And I think that's one of the real big mistakes that goalkeepers make today is that if you watch, you know, guys playing guys who get really wide hands, and you talk, talk about making that off hip save, you don't make it. You know, we, we teach our shooters that if we see goalies playing with wide hands, we're shooting at his off elbow as much as we possibly can because he can't get the head of the stick there. He's got to get lucky to get there. He's got to move his feet in certain ways to, to get there. He's got to do a hell of a lot more work than if he's, you know, that eight to 12 inches. What, what, what do you think about it? Um, why do you think Blaze plays with such a, a longer stick than most? I, I You're asking the wrong guy, man. I, I played with a stick that was up to my eyes, you know, so that was, you know, short of six feet because i think i think it i think it one it makes you a better passer you can throw the ball further you can throw it harder you okay. can throw around guys who are standing in front of you two yeah. you pick off passes three you can get out and and reach balls that are loose around the cage and you know every loose ball you get around the cage is one less save you got to make. You know so yeah so totally.
1: one what of the things that stick? you just got choke up on it and you can move it right
0: Right. And and it and it's it's not hard to use and it's not hard to get used to it. And that's one of the things we always do here is our goalies come in and they have these tiny little sticks. And I make them throw away their shafts and take, you know, the longest stick we can find. Cause that don't even make shafts long enough for goalies to to what I would like. You know, you, you have to take the You have to chop then, down a long pole. Yeah, you you have to, and it's and it's and it's crazy. But I think I think it's it's something I'd like to see goalies look at and think about because it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't hurt you.
1: Yeah, well, I think um, the last words you just said, I think, are some of the most important for everybody, coaches and players, is, like, take a look at what's happening and what people are doing. Look and think about, well, why does Blaze do what he do- does? Why does he play with a stick like that? Why does he, you know, and because and it may actually, sometimes people, um, you know, you call it accidental or uh, uh, deception, I mean, uh, baiting. Um, look, there's all kinds of accidental success that we have. And we're like, wow, that actually really works. No question. <laughs> it, it may be very exactly opposite. It's yeah. kind of funny, too, when you look at it, when you look at the PLL, the majority of the goalies were not the highest level recruits. What does that tell you? Think about it. How many top of the food chain recruiting schools, you know, um, did these guys go to? I mean, get, get them in Virginia. But, you know, that guy was like 2014 or something like he, he's been out for a while. Uh, Law is another guy at Maryland that probably was a pretty high level recruit, but I mean, how many others we're looking at Bellarmine, we're looking at a couple from Albany, Hofstra, St. Bonnie's. Um,
0: I would say, I would say that's a reflection more of how hard that position is to recruit yeah, and how how some of those, you know, and and what people are actually looking for when they're recruiting that. And I think like when I go, when I go recruiting and I look at goalies, um, I hardly watch them play in the actual scrimmage situations. Like, I I try to get as much as I can. I try to watch them all warm up as much as possible. I want to watch them warm up, see how they're moving, what they're doing. And in the game situations, I look a lot at um, when they miss a ball. You know, I I think it's really telling that when a goalkeeper misses a ball, where's his hands? Were his hands on it? Did he just miss it? Or was, like, so often you see some goalies got their hands up here and the ball's going past their ankle, you know, or their sticks down and the ball goes over their shoulder. I'm worried about that. When, when I see that, I, th- that's a big disconnect because yeah. you're all going to miss balls, but are you on it? You know, that, that's, that's, that I think is a big tell when you start looking at, at young goalies.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think it, like you said, it's a hard, it's a hard position to recruit. And I think people a lot of times recruit based on everyone says we're recruiting the goalies to make the saves, but then I think they, 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 they end up having a, a certain style of play that they think is fundamental, you know? So therefore like, you know, there's guys out there that, our pros and long time 10-year pros that 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 might not look fundamental but they actually the fundamental of surface area the sun, fundamental of making saves the fundamental yeah. of of angles um, you know getting their hips there are actually uh happening just being in the right spot man just being yeah. in the right spot you know? all right well that was a fun conversation um let's um let's switch gears and talk a little bit about box lacrosse you coached box lacrosse I um, played some growing up in Rochester. A while history. back, right? Um, yeah. and, but, but the reason why I want to ask you about this is just because I, w- I want I want you to sort of share your your thoughts on this. What, not just what you learned back then, but how you've kind of watched box infiltrate our game and how you're helping develop your own team at Colby, and then the people that had an impact on you along the way, learning about this uh, amazing um, game that that seems to be a, a big help for a field lacrosse. What?
0: Well, well, first of all, I love the indoor game, and 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 always did. And and you know, a couple of the most enjoyable seasons I ever went through when I was an assistant coach with the Nighthawks, and and um, and you know, not just in the, the culture, but just how the games play. I think it's a beautiful game, and it's fun to play. It's so much fun to play, and, and it has it. It has its own kind of. Um, you know culture to it that yeah. that that you know has it's not completely a hockey culture if you're familiar with the hockey culture but there's it's elements it's, it, 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 it is and 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 I love that I love that kind of you know competitive nature of how you go things and that you get after each other you know it's truly a sport where you really get after each other for 60 minutes and then an hour later your best of friends with arms around each other you know it's it's
1: like that happens in that sport maybe more than any other i've experienced well and it's it's so much different than field lacrosse because there's a dressing room and you go in there with your stuff yes. and a dressing room yeah. and you hang out yes. with the boys and yeah. you know you don't roll in and and with your bag with your dad and and at the at the, at the field you know it's it's just very different and that of the best parts of the culture really
0: yeah I, I i i love that part of it but but the game itself i loved you know i think it 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 taught me a lot about how um, two handedness is nice. And in the field game, um, you know, as, as as an offensive player, it's great to be two handed, but they don't have to be equal. They don't have to be close to equal. And you should you should never, I've gotten of the mind that we talk and work with our players about really, really developing their strengths. And 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 that if they're going to work, if they're now if their their offhand is completely useless, then we're going to work on that. But if 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 it's if it's if it's serviceable and can be used in competitive situations, we're going to work on the strong hand. And it's like we think about it this way: is that um, in the world we all get paid for our strengths and what we do best. So why wouldn't we keep developing what we do best and what we're strongest at? And so, and so, so if, if, you know, you may have a really strong right hand and shoot the ball well, but it could be just incrementally better raises you to a whole nother level or strata of effectiveness in a game, then work on that because that's going to get you and be more effective for our team than you being able to make a 20 yard pass with your offhand. And, and, and so, and so I think those types of things are, are ways that being involved in that game made me think of it. The other thing it made me do is, is, is realize that the most underrated skill in our game is catching. You know, catching the ball is is by far the most underrated skill we have, in my opinion. I, I think that um, the hands that they have, catches they can make while moving hard and guys hanging on them and, and balls not anywhere near their ear. You know, maybe on their toe or at their hip or wherever it is or across their body. And their ability to, to get those and then be able to do something with it because it's not just the catch, but that's then I make that catch and can't you know some guys will make that great catch and then their next pass will go eight feet over the next guy's head because they weren't, but being able to take make that great catch and then transfer that into something else to kind of yeah, like a poised it. finish, right? Exactly. And and so I think those types of skills are things that that in there, and and then certainly you know, all the two man, It's it was back in the, in the late nineties when I was at RIT. And, and this was even before I was in the indoor, having coached in the indoor, um, we had, you know, six or seven Canadians on the team then that we used to recruit Canada and, and bring kids in and, and learned a lot about, but I'd been involved with indoor prior to that. Cause there had been a lot of it around Rochester. And even growing up when I was growing up and, and coaching at Hobart and Geneva in the, in the early eighties, we would play box in in rinks then. And so you had some understanding of how two man would work and picking would work because it used to be. I mean, when you and I were growing up, I, I, at least when I was, it was like you do not pick for the ball. Don't you ever pick for the ball? Maybe because- an X, for, maybe an X
1: if you want a feedback there.
0: And and even then, be careful because you're bringing the double. Don't bring the double. You know, and it's like that. That was that was always used to be. It was like taboo. And I mean, there were even parts in in early in my career where I can remember thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. And then yeah. the more I got involved with the indoor, it was like, God, we need to pick for the ball.
1: You know, we, it's oh. like, we can. I remember can, Mike Waldvogel telling me, Mike Walvogel, you know, of course know listeners yes. some do, some don't. He's a Hall of Fame coach. Was at Yale, and I coached for him '91 till '98, and he was like. He's like, yeah, I used to play club lacrosse, and you know, he was a he was a two time world team defender. Um, he was ridiculous. Not the, the game as an LSM, right? Um, but but uh, he was like, yeah, I was playing MIDI with Scotty Anderson, and um, he was like, I, I would always just bring my guy over and make him double Scotty and get myself open. And and I just remember uh, him him talking. You know, he figured out how to do the taboo thing of setting a pick right. for his own purposes of baiting a double.
0: Right. Um, right.
1: But the funny thing is, is that. You know the big advantage of two-man game is that it is easier to create that two-on-one and two-man game, and actually the whole point is to bring a double, which exactly. is the whole point of dodging, is exactly. to do score or draw a double, slide, right. call what do you want. Um, yeah. You know, so it's kind of funny. But how have you taken that um two-man, you know, belief concepts to Colby? What are you guys doing there?
0: Well, I think I think you know it's funny. We're we're um, you know we have you have some unique challenges in the NASCAC, right? Where where we can't work with our guys in the fall. And so, and so um, we need, we need our guys being able to go out and do things they can. So we try to, we try to get a lot of that four on four going. A lot of the guys um, looking at um, playing the two man together with each other, just, just to get, you know, a lot, frankly, Jamie, it's a lot of the stuff you talk about already, the stuff you have on your YouTube channel and things like I tell our guys to go look at that, figure out what you want to do. Go look at that. And, and, and so, and so it's, I think, I don't think it's dissimilar to that. And I think we, we were working for a while at, we were having a hard time um, understanding uh, how to work off a of really hard picks. So we were working a lot in the past on where we didn't really set a lot of our hard picks, but we set a lot of what, what, what I would call, I guess, shallow unders where, where, I, where I'll go under you, a, you know, a foot or two apart, but I don't really stop you know, and, I, yeah, and I'll go. Like slip, or another.
1: Shortcut, yeah. yeah. yeah and,
0: and, it, and sometimes it's not even a slip. It's just a kind of a shallow under clear to bring my guy close. See if he takes a step the wrong way or see if his guy comes over, see if we, I can't bump my guy into his almost like a, a pick play on wide receivers on the same side of the field, you know, where you, yeah. where you, where you run a shallow under over the other guy who's got a crossover to get the guy who's crossing over you. So, um, so I think we, we, we try to do a lot of that and work, Work on that, and, and again, that's just you know, it, everything comes down to it's. It's funny. I remember, I'm trying to remember where I read it, but um, you know, things about deep practice, where you, where you, where you, where you have intention and purpose to what you do, you know, and that, and that, and that, repetitions certainly build habits, but they don't necessarily develop skills. If you have an intention and purpose. In what you're doing, you're going to build skill. And, and in this case, even when it's free flowing four on four, you can have intention person. And I would argue that's when you talk about, you know, you I've read about all the, you know, and, and we practice some of the constraints, right? Learning constraints and things like that. That brings purpose to what I'm learning and doing in that session. So that, that if I'm getting doubled every time, I now have a purpose in terms of how I deal with that double. And do whatever. And, and then eventually we'll get to the point where I remove the constraints and the purpose is to recognize when the double comes or doesn't come. And, mm-hmm. and so I think, so just going through reps doesn't mean, you know, just sitting there and banging balls at the cage is great. You know, it's fine. It's better than sitting in the room and playing video games, yeah. but it's, but it's not the same as having real intention and purpose to what you're doing. I'd rather have, I'd rather have 15 or 20 minutes of you doing that. Than banging the balls for 45 minutes. You
1: know? No doubt. And I think I, I, I love that. And I think I think a lot of it has to do with the intention and the purpose of the coach creating the constraints because the skills will emerge from the situation. If you say we're going to do four and four double team offense, you guys got to set picks, slip them if you want, but you know, you guys got to set and try to use some picks, we're going to double you. It's going to be up to the 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 ball carrier to figure out how not to get doubled. And, exactly, and, and for the picker to get open, and for the right. other defenders to, or goalie to help on that play, and and make that rotation, and you know, so it's it, but those skills emerge, you know, maybe you're going to roll away and throw with a question mark, maybe you're going to pivot away and 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 and, and hit a, hit a little uh, shovel, maybe you know who knows, but but at the end of the day, um, so much of that comes from the constraints and the intentionality of the coach creating. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And I, and I think, you know, it's funny, we'll take it to a point where, you know, when you first do this with guys, it's, it's, you know, sometimes they, they like, we have guys who like, who come from places or do whatever, where maybe that's not where it's not as kind of, we're talking about constraints, but actually, it's pretty open, right? It's pretty, it's pretty free flowing. And, 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 and the constraints are there, and they have a hard time, like, well, I go here, then what do I do? Then after that, what then so so then do I clear through to this side? Do I go, like I don't know what the defense do, you know. And so so it's it's those types of things where where you've got to get them confident understanding. And so so we'll even start out sometimes in in maybe we're doing a four on four, and we'll say okay. This next goal, you're, you've got thirty seconds to score a goal. This guy has to score it, and it has to be assisted. Go make it happen. And so, and so there's not a prescription now for them to go, have to go out. They, you know, maybe you set a pickoff ball first and maybe he's, he's right running some sort of, maybe they come up on their own with some sort of mumbo look or they're doing, they're doing or, or they do something on a back pick out of a nations or some, what whatever that is, but it makes them think about how am I going to make, which I also love because what we try to talk about is how in how we play, especially offensively, um, how do I make everybody else effective? How, and how am I, how am I going to be really valuable to this offense without touching the ball or not scoring the goal? How am I doing that? Yeah. And, and I think, and I think that can happen in that time.
1: That example of a task constraint of only so-and-so can score or he has to score or whatever. Yeah. It's so true. It, it, It makes the athletes figure out how to do that. And the more sort of, tasks you can give people Uh, and it's better when there's optionality it's like hey here's three different things you can do but in order to win this game you got to do three of these five things one of them would be guy has to score an off ball goal another one would be you have to score off of something else or whatever but i remember first learning that actually back in the 90s i was really into bobby knight and and i was reading (laughs) all his books and watching his videos and to this day there's there's so much i learned from that but i remember him saying only steve alford can score was one of his things he would do in practice i was like wow that's really really interesting and then next thing you know you know everyone's setting picks for steve Alford, and he's figuring out how to read those picks. right which by the way is a great segue into a question i have for you that i've been thinking a ton about is the opportunities with off ball two man i mean i i i think this is like the really the new frontier for the game that is happening in box and field it, it it a little bit it, it happened I think a little bit more this summer in the Pll I know I think I mentioned this on a podcast before but but you know they have to cover the action we don't really make them cover actions off ball the occasional seal the occasional mumbo occasional set play you know but but if they're going to pack it in why wouldn't we seal them and, and and create difficult approaches and if they're like well we're not going to worry about you and we're not going to pack it in we're going to guard you even better we'll have more chances for cuts and slips and curls Um, So where are you at with, with off ball two man, and and how much have you explored this? Where's your head on that?
0: Uh, Well, I think, I think, I think, well, first of all, I think not just in, in, in the type of playing the type of offense we're talking about, but any type of offense, If, if you're, if you're not having off ball action, then, then you're putting so much pressure on the guy with the ball to be able to make something happen that you better have, that guy better be a superstar, right? That better be Gary Gate because you're going to need somebody that's going to be able to dodge two and three people without, you know, because everybody's waiting for him to do that. And so, and so I think, I think we think about it in two ways. One, one of the things we like to teach in, in when especially in two man, and and it's kind of off ball on the backside a lot. I always feel like it ends up being sometimes a two man, but a combination of a third guy kind of flittering around the boundary of that two man, you know? And so is there ways to use that? And one of the things I think that can be really effective, one of the skills to teach early is just to seal your own. How, how do you seal your own? And and what, and what where does that open for other guys coming off of things? Because basically most defenses you play against today, if you're playing two man on one side, look, they're gonna be in some sort of help, help hedge position. Yeah. They're gonna be backside in low. And all those types of things so it's set up for you to seal your own it's it set is- up to do things that to to kind of work out and take advantage of their being worried about what's especially if you don't have guys sitting in the middle of the field which is what nobody does anymore right you know you used to make sure little make sure we make them defend the crease and now, and now now the mantra is get the hell out of the crease don't put their don't put their their two slide in there you know get out of there so it's like so so i think that that's that's been really important too and i think and i think there needs to be action on the backside. Um, but again, like we're talking about with practice, you need to have intent and purpose, right? And I think that I think I've always like guys just running for the sake of running or running in circles for the sake of running have never made sense to me. I've always, I've always thought it made sense. Good, hard, purposeful moves. You know, what, what am I doing here? I'm taking a defender here. And that's the part about the off balls. You need your guys to be able to think about how does my movement a, affect the defender who's responsible for me and does it then affect what their defense is doing and then how can i how can i have the greatest effect on their defense as a whole through my movement and then and then also you know two steps ahead right it's that it's that seal my own is really to set up the other guy i'm over there with you know because he's he's gonna come off of that or come around that or cut to the middle or cut pop up to the high so so I think all of those types of thought processes need to go on, but I think you've got if you're just standing watching that two man game and then waiting for your chance, the ball to come to your side of the field and do yeah. two man, that's it, not a lot of purpose.
1: It's not. I mean, I feel like um, you know, so many people create actions, but it's more it's mostly based around spacing and right. exchanges. Um, you know, with the crease perimeter exchanges being little more deadly than the than the, the, the perimeter exchanges which can change a matchup right. don't really move anybody right. and that's kind of why i'm wondering about two man actions and why i say i think it's like a new frontier is because we've no one as far as i've seen in field across have taken this to the level that i think it could be at which is you would just pick slip seal constantly right constantly um and make them guard it if they're going to pack it in, then you are going to probably seal and slip more. And if they're going to try to stay with matchups, then you'll, you'll curl and pop more. And when it's more ball side, they'll they'll be a little more man conscious. And when it's backside, they'll be a little more zone conscious, depending on how worried they are with you. But I, I kind of feel like, you know, the two-man on ball has become such a big point of emphasis for everybody. And I, I don't disagree with that other than the fact that I kind of feel like you know, let that develop and let's let's get the off ball going. Think about back, all right. So, you know, you think about the 80s, there's an awful lot of inside actions going on that don't happen, Tons. Anymore, right? Tons. Tons. And 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 by the way, what did that do for attackmen? What did that make them better at? Well, they 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 were able to come around the cage and score. Well, because they also, the defenders you know, had to defend the and they feed. were also better feeders. Exactly. That's kind of what I was getting at. The, yeah. if your ability to feed and see it and, and go against a pole and feed and actually be looking to feed. Actions, right, was a huge part of the game. I mean, even just like, honestly, like working on all the like out of bound three man three man plays that you would constantly run, were incredibly developmental. You know, now I don't love actions happening in the center as much as I'd rather have them happen sort of on the wings and have the wing, you know, feed from the wing rather feed from behind. Right. But I'll tell you, one of the teams that did this a few years ago was Jeff Tambroni, um, when (laughs) their 2019 offense with Penn State, yeah. When that ball would go behind and they would do their big little back there with Grant Amitt, they had incredible actions in front of them with, with picks and slips and seals Yeah, that got – I mean, I, I kind of ended up going through a lot of their games to try to do this webinar, which which uh, maybe I'll post on that YouTube channel one of these days. Yeah. But um, I, I think there's so much upside, not only for the actions – But for teaching your players how to be feeders rather than just having to be dodgers, and then you can use those picks the way that the the reason why we would have a pick in the 80s was so you could stand behind it and feed an inside action. I mean, basically, right right? from close enough that you didn't have some wood shaft, you know, you didn't have Steve Bevel beating the living, trying to break your arm and accidentally hitting you in the knee. You know, sorry, Jamie didn't mean to do that type of deal, and he did, he meant to do that. I, so, I I
0: agree with you 100. I think I think that, and I think there is some. You know I I think we we as as coaches or as people in the sport we 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 fall in love with certain things and we and and like why can't we do both? You know why why can't we have moments of having some of that inside action and, and out of bounds plays and things like that? Yeah, but then right. also have yeah. your your two man and do that because I think because I again I think it because it it goes back to what you were saying earlier, which I think you just basically concurred with what i'm saying is that how do we make the defense react how do we make the defense look different because now with shot clocks too you don't just wear defenses down anymore right you you need you need to make them react or make, give them the opportunity to make mistakes give them an opportunity to slide to the wrong guy or overhedge something
1: or make step them cover up. stuff make them cover yeah. actions you know exactly. make them hard actions and exchanges i guess are actions but but they don't require much you can stand there um the inside outside exchange you know um is a little harder because it can be a seal it's kind of like a mumbo anyways and all of a sudden people the defense tends to get a little bit more screwed up on that one but right but yeah it's, it's 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 really interesting and um you know it kind of comes back to the whole that whole box piece is when you watch box man is it incredible to watch the way those guys yeah. How smart they are because of that the amount of actions that they are learning how right. to be a part of on the offensive side. I mean, like just because they just understand how to communicate, they understand. I mean, it all comes down to deception too. You got to be able to see it coming. You got to deceive your guy that you're not going to be doing what you're doing. Um, well, it's all it's all it's all like where I think it really where it really the
0: guys who are really good, you know, off ball especially are the guys who understand the decision tree, which is, and and the first decisions you make, you know, you go do whatever action you're going to do, but understand that that action is going to create an opportunity to make a decision. But the decision you make is based on what the defender does. Who's playing you. Did he go over the other guy? Did he go under the other guy? Is he fighting through? Is he, is he just staying inside? Is it, you know, all of those things, then determine to and and that's where I think we kind of, we kind of look at action for action's sake, but don't again purposeful, intentional, thoughtful action of where where so teaching teaching your players how to read and react how if this then that I mean that's one of the things we talk to our players all the time is is the if this then that ratio you know relationship to everything we do. Cause there's going to be a, then, and then that isn't always one, that sometimes there's two. And so that's like, if, if things are going well and we're having a good session, you know, you go to guys and, and you're coaching a guy and you come up to him and he's made a decision and maybe it was a really good decision, but you can, you can just go to him and go. So, so what did you see? Why'd you do that? Great. Do that again. You know, that's fine. You know, or if it's, it's what, is there anything that would have been better? What would have done? What would have happened if you'd gone here? So you kind of make them, you know, after they've had their rep, you make them think about that. Or that's that's when you use the film of practice right. to coach the to coach and try to get them to understand. But in the moment, if you can get them thinking about their defender, then then I think that that's that's really because I see so many kids, at, even at the higher levels, you see guys who they have no clue who's covering you. I don't know. I think it's him, you know, well, they switched. It's not him. It's him, you know, it's, and it's so those types of things, how can you, how can you affect him if you don't know who he is and what his, and what his role is. So that's where scout comes in, right. That how do these guys defend this? So how, then how can I get him away from that? So I I think it's a whole nother level that it gets to that the actions are all great, but it's the decisions that make it
1: work. No doubt. And it's the perception of the situation that that perception, action, coupling concept where you perceive your surroundings right. and you act. And, you know, like you said, most people off ball stare at the ball. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it seemed and, and how many times have you heard people say, well, never, keep, never take your eye off the ball. They'll say yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah. you, don't you turn your back the ball. Really stare yeah. at the ball. Yeah. And. You know, if you're sealing for me and I'm the lefty shooter and you're sealing down a guy at 10 yards in the hashes and I'm going to start coming up off this seal, if if I'm not taking a peek at my guy to see if he's following me, meeting me on the other side or nothing, not at all, if I just cut, I, I won't know where to go. I mean, you know, like when you look at uh, Steph Curry, he's <laughs> not staring at the ball the whole time. And that's actually, it's really interesting. This is like a Bobby Knight quote from, you know, back, back, back in the 90s when I was reading this. I remember – it was the season on the brink. So it was a book about Bobby Knight, and it talked about right. Bobby Knight taught his he taught his off ball actions that you would focus on your man, and sometimes in a basketball game, an Indiana basketball game, you would see a passer pass the ball on a bounce pass right out of bounds, right. and you would think that that was like a really bad pass, but actually it was the feeder making the wrong read normally. Right. And right. the person um, not looking at the ball because they're actually probably backdooring what what seemed, you know, a play. But the point is, is this is the one of the most counterintuitive parts of the whole game is off ball you, and with the ball, you, 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 you can't be look, you you have to see defenders right. and right. off ball. You can't just stare at the ball. Right. And with the ball, of course, you can't just look at your guy. Um, right. So anyways, yeah. So, and that's yeah. why the next, the next level player.
0: Yeah. Is, not, is, is the guy who sees his defender but also sees the next, you know, who who he's understands good. who who's coming. Is he over hedging? Is he coming this way? Is he going that way? I mean, that's the next level offensive player is, is that guy who, you know, because lots of guys will get to the point where they can say, okay, I got my guy beat. I got my hands. But he, then he's surprised where the slide comes from, yeah. or he doesn't know where the ball should go. If the slide comes from here or somebody over hedges there, or it's just standing there in, in, in between, you know, what's the, what's the play that that's where I think you see guys really, you know, well, that that's pretty, that's actually where you see the great feeders today. Is that, is that those guys who see the second defender are usually the best passers in the game.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, what's really interesting is, is I remember when I was like a senior in college and Larry Bird was sort of winding down um, as one of the best players in the world. But I was like, man, I want I wanna, I wanna be able to make touch passes like Larry Bird. And I've been a soccer player, so I, I, I kind of understood the idea that you have to know what you're going to do with the ball before you get it. Like in the sport of soccer, if you don't do that, you will not have any success. In lacrosse, conversely, you don't have to do that to have a lot of success, particularly at early ages. You can just wait till you get it and figure it out then and just run through everybody and score it. But I, 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 um, I remember like literally training myself to look away. From the ball. And I would like practice it like in line drills and in like I just try to practice it all times so that I could figure out if I was at X and someone was going to throw me the ball, was I going to be able to kn- know where the open people were so I could throw that Larry Bird touch pass. And that's that, that was what I just decided I wanted to try to do. But it brings up the interesting point of scanning, which in soccer is a measured trait, um you know, the elite players in the world you know, in the premier league in England scans six to eight times in, in the 10 seconds before receiving the ball. Um, what's your take on scanning? Because on defense, we already do it. I think, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's what we've all, it's actually what we've been
0: talking about, right. Is, yeah. is what we're talking about is that yeah. looking beyond our defender into other defenders understanding? But I, it's so funny because I, I remember, you know, back when I played and it was in, you know, this is the early 1980s. And, and I was fortunate enough to play for what I think was maybe, well, a man who was so far ahead of his time in terms of relationship with players and understanding, like he would, he would be great today. Dave Urich is maybe one of the greatest coaches who ever walked a sideline everywhere, and you know he's a guy who didn't play high school lacrosse. He didn't play lacrosse till he got to college, and had, was a football guy, and then and then got and then he got hooked up at Hobart with Jerry Schmidt. Who Jerry Schmidt's the only guy who's ever been on the cover of Sports Illustrated who played lacrosse was an all American and, and was maybe one of the most innovative offensive coaches. If you talk to a lot of the old time, a lot of the game today is stuff that came off and, and from the mind of Jerry Schmidt. Jerry Schmidt and and like, Dave uh, like did, what? Well, well, think well. He <laughs> ten man ride stuff and how to do ten man rides back when Jerry Schmidt did it. He did it with nine long poles. He would say nine. Long didn't poles and,
1: invent ten man ride. What's that? You mean Tony Seaman didn't invent that. Didn't invent
0: right? I'm not going to argue with Tony, but, <laughs> but but Dave, one of the things when you talk about scanning, one of the one of the drills that people, um, some people I know, do it now or think about, it, but don't don't do it seriously. I love is what we, he used to call it the hippo drill. No idea why it's the hippo drill, but it was basically you would play ten on ten, and the guy with the ball, you had two to three seconds or five yards with the ball. That's it. Once you receive the ball, you had two to three seconds or five yards to get rid of it, or it was the other team's ball. So you better scan before you receive it. And even better yet, the guys who haven't received it are scanning to figure out where to be so that if someone else receives it, how am I effective for him? So, so it, it kind of, you know, it, it may be a simplification, but Holy smoke, does it work? Mm-hmm. And and it gets guys thinking, and the ball because everybody used to think, well, that's just a way to learn how to play fast. No, it's a way to understand what you're doing. So even you can play six on six, and play hippo six on six. It doesn't have to be full field. And yeah. if the ball moves like that, you better understand where guys are coming from, and where and where your offensive players are going to go. So that you know, and that's the part of like it's almost like a, a in the NFL today. A quarterback and a receiver in the, in the RPO stuff in the passing, they have reads. And you hear how many times you say, oh, receiver read, read it wrong. Or the quarterback and receiver weren't on the same. But when they're on the same page, they read the same thing and they know the reaction is this. And so you can start to build some of that, you know, which is hard to do. But the more you can build that where your off-ball guy is reading what his guy is doing and the on-ball guy is reading that. So he knows he steps up. He's going to put the ball to that spot. And, right. and that's where you know people call it spot feeding, which you don't see much of anymore. But honestly, it's two guys coming together making the same read. That that's that's what that is. And yeah. I and I think that ways to try and promote that is what you're talking about. And that's that's what I guess in your word scanning is.
1: Yeah, it's um it's interesting, and it's also when when you when you hear about great players and people talk about them and characterize what they're great at, usually they'll say things like, "Well, Wayne Gretzky could see." things two plays ahead. Right, right. Well, yeah. that that's basically what hippo drill makes you do. Because exactly. you can tell, you you know that that ball is going to get moved and then it's going to get moved to you. And yes. and, and you have to be the person who's going to, like, you know, facilitate that next pass because you right. see that that ball is probably going to go to him and then it's probably going to go to me. That's thinking two plays ahead. And you can develop that, like, you know, um, by, no by emphasizing these things like moving the ball or and scanning and looking around. I mean, on defense, we – Everyone talks about head on a swivel and don't ball watch. You you, you can't right. just stare at your man. You can't just stare at the ball. You got to get look away, look box. away, don't look away. Ball. I mean, that's every unsettled hey. situation. The defensive call is look away. But offensively, it's no different. No, it's it is as important to know what where the space is, where the defenders are, where your teammates are, what you might do with the ball when you get it. And, and it also allows you to perfectly, you know, with, 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 with respect to the example I just gave of, thinking two passes away to get to to break open but it also allows you to just like at at the microscopic level be in the perfect spot to receive a ball to score it how many times have you seen a guy catch it on man up and all of a sudden he's like you know a little bit too far out to shoot the perfect shot or he's catching it and all of a sudden there's a guy all over my man up and now he he has to run away and kill seven seconds while he's getting pressure you know um, all of this has to do with scanning yeah um all right so let's switch gears that was a fun con- fun part of the conversation and we are starting to run out of time here but um i want to i want to hear a little bit about um you know colby um and what you want recruits and stuff to know about your program what you're looking for and and some of the things that you're really excited about with colby lacrosse as and, and as a school of facilities and everything for people that don't know as much about it as you might want them to well i think i think
0: you know first and foremost, you know, Colby's one of the finest academic institutions in the world. And, and that, um, and it's, and it's become, um, you know, for, we, we start by where our kids academically, you know, because our, our admission, our admission rate last year was somewhere around eight or 9%. And so, and so it's, it's highly competitive in terms of that. Um, And, and then, and then from there, you you know, it's an opportunity for guys to go and get an education that's going to be you know world class and what it's done for us as a as recruiters is because it's it's um leads to such good living and, and such a good life and, and it's such an incredible education we can go anywhere in the country and and put this in front of people and they will at least listen because because of what the possibilities are to get the education at Colby. And and I think that that what's happened in the last couple of years is that Colby has made a, we have a, a phenomenal president who's very dynamic leader. Colby has made an incredible um, kind of commitment to, to athletics and recreation. We have a, a building that's been open for two years now, but a, a $200 million athletic facility wow. that has, that has rink and court and field house and locker rooms and training rooms. And, and, you know, we went, we went from a 4,200 square foot strength and conditioning space to 14,000 foot strength and conditioning space and, and it's had an incredible impact we have a we have a new peak performance program in our athletic department that includes you know nutrition sports psychologists you know our strength and conditioning and trainers working and you're know, all working in unison to help kids and using all kinds of technology with force plates and things like that to help kids develop into you know the type of athlete or player in particular that they want to be and then and then what we're doing with our program is we're, we're trying to you know the, the challenge we have is that we play in, in arguably the um, most challenging uh, conference in division three lacrosse where, where, you know, you have 11 teams in the conference and at any given time in a year, six or seven could be ranked in the top 20. And, and, and so that's out of now what 275 division three schools. And, and so, and so it's, so there's that kind of challenge. And, and then for us, the challenge recruiting wise is getting people to, Realize what we have going on here, the way we're building, how fun and exciting it is, and but getting them to come see it in Central Maine. (laughs) that, That because you know we we it's incredible. The reaction is almost universal when families come to visit our campus and sit down and talk with it like I had no idea this place is incredible you know the same to the point where I'm ready to throw things when another if another family says it and trying trying to get folks to understand that this is really worth the trip to see what's going on here academically to see you know I'm, I, I love the the guys we have in our program I love our guys they're 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 hungry they want to they want to build they want they want to create something we're working on you know you know, a culture of, of where guys are really going to be committing and making sacrifices and, and doing things in ways that, um, that can, that give you the opportunity for success, right? Nothing guarantees you success, but things give you more opportunity for success than others, certain behaviors and all that. And so, and so we try not to be um, results-based, but more, more process-based in what we do from day to day. And I think, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big reader, so I go, I go, I, I have a lot, we have lots of books that, and, and ideas and things where, we, you know, this year is a, we, we for the team, we, we use the John Gordon book to try and, you know, just help us build culture. But for me, you know, things like George Mumford, who's wrote The, the Mindful Athlete, who Michael Jordan credits with all his, you know, success is, is pretty amazing. Simon Sinek, who talks about start with why, you know, and what, what, what your why is. And, and how, um, you know, the why, because what people actually buy into and believe in is your why not your what, you know, people don't buy, you know, he, he argues about things like Apple computers that they don't, um, it's not really the computer they're buying. It's why Apple does what they do, which, which is, you know, basically Apple says, we're gonna change everyone's life. We're gonna change the world. And people wanna be a part of that movement. And so they buy Apple products. Uh, to be part of that movement so so it's 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 interesting and then the other one um that we try to work on a lot with our guys especially today um with what kids are going through in terms of mental health issues and things like that um become a big fan of uh, marcus aurelius and stoicism and and there's an author named ryan holiday Who's, who's written a whole series of books and, and is kind of a modern day Stoic and studies the Stoics and writes about it. And, and he's written uh, uh, The Obstacle is the Way, you know, Courage is Calling, you know, Ego is the Enemy, all different things. But one of the things that I love about Stoicism is the whole concept we try to tell, tell, work with our guys on this is that you are not your circumstances. You are what you do with your circumstances. And what you do with your circumstances is always your choice. And so how are you going to, how are you going to, now that's really easy to say, right? Really easy to say. And it's, and it's like, how do you keep your cool when the circumstances have, have, have made you angry and anger is real and and emotion is real. But if you choose, it's your choice as to whether you indulge that anger or you indulge, indulge that feeling sorry for myself rather than just rising above and knowing that circumstance that took place doesn't, doesn't affect who I am as a human being and who I am as a man. So, so I think those things, those things are really, really important to our program and what we're trying to build in our culture. And I think, and how we communicate. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I think about, you know, like just the stuff you're doing, right? The stuff you do online. There's another author named Tim Elmore, who's written a lot about, he's just his latest book is about Generation Z, but he runs, he runs an organization called Growing Leaders. He's phenomenal. He's like, he's become one of my gurus of how to deal. you know, as an old man, dealing with young people and trying to stay relevant to them. Um, I need to learn. I need to understand them. And 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 so Tim Elmore helps me tremendously with that. And and one of the things he talks about is that no matter how good you are at something, you know, as, as a leader or a teacher or whatever, as no matter how good you are at something, every kid holds in their hand something where they can within five minutes find 10 people way better than you are at teaching that. And and so you use that, but also acknowledge it. And one of the things that we talk about with our guys is that understanding the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? And and so they can get lots of knowledge, which is great. We love knowledge, but knowledge doesn't mean you really, you, you know it, that doesn't mean you can do it or how to apply it which is where wisdom comes in and experience and people that you want to rely on that can guide you to do things. And so it's, it's what one of my favorite sayings has become with our young guys is 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 the idea that, um, you know. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put tomatoes in fruit salad. You know, so, so it's so it's, it's those types of things of how you apply the knowledge you get in what you're doing. And, and so I think that's a lot of what we're talking about here, right? Is, 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 is where we as leaders and people in that, in our program, we want to provide, you know, Tim Elmore always talks about is that young people don't need a sage from the stage. They need a guide at their side. And so, so trying, and, and which is really, you know, for me in 40 years of this, when I first started, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily say it was a dictator on the stage, right? This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going
1: to do it. Now get out there and do it. And, and again, you did have an opportunity to, to play for, uh, Dave Yurick, who was probably, uh, if a dictator, the friendliest of all and, or, and, and coach for Dick Garber. Exactly. The two guys that,
0: that had the most influence on me were two of the most amazing men who never had, who were so far had, would, would be able to do today what they did then because, because of the way, and, and a lot of it starts with caring about people and building relationships that have nothing to do with a sport, you know, and have to do with just being human beings together, you know? And so like some of my favorite things that we do here is when my, you know, my wife's a great cook, obviously. And, and we have, we, we have lots of guys over for dinner and I live a mile from campus. We want guys in the house. We want to hang out. We want to, we want to know each other. Cause if we're going to truly, if we're going to truly come together and be something we need to, we need we need to care for each other, not just care about each other, but care for each other. And you can't care for people you don't know. And so and so we want to spend a lot of time of really knowing each other at a level besides whether he's right or left handed, you know, whether he can hit that 10, 10 yard step down or not. You know, and, and that that's really, really important to us here.
1: Guy, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's uh, it was a pleasure to talk lacrosse with you as usual. Loved it. Loved it. Great to hear about Colby. Fired up for you guys in 2023. Best of luck. And uh, let's keep in touch.
0: I will, Jamie. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you.